A reading from the book of Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him for being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for him, you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to me with the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. That was a little weak. Let's try that one more time. Good morning again. All right. You know, one thing that's exciting, as we, we look to the fall, today is our official fall launch, and we're going to launch into a new sermon series about the life of King David. And it's starting today, but one thing's certain, which is when you start looking at the Old Testament, you come across difficult names. So uh, thank you, Jonathan, for reading in the first service, and Brooke for reading in the second um, Anyway, before we launch into this passage, looking at how it applied to them and us, I want to begin with a word of prayer, okay? So please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. So we are going to dive right into the life of David. Today we're going to talk about his calling, his anointing as a boy. But before we jump into the scripture this morning, I want to begin with this question. When you think of humility, what picture or person comes to mind? When you think of humility, what picture or person comes to mind? As I was researching this text I came across this man as a picture of humility. Anyone want to take a guess who this is? 
This is Booker T. Washington. Okay, some of you might have had it right. If you had it right and were too scared to raise a hand, just blink at me. God knows whether you're telling the truth or not, right? Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington, he was born into slavery. He was that last generation in the United States born into slavery and then grew up post-Civil War, if you will, in the deep, deep South. He would emerge as a leader for African Americans across the United States, especially in the South. He would advocate for education and entrepreneurship for their advancement. In fact, he would even become a presidential uh, advisor for people such as Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, and yet I came across this story this week from a devotional called Our Daily Bread. So let me read it to you. A truly humble man is hard to find, yet God delights to honor such selfless people. Booker T. Washington, the renowned black educator, was an outstanding example of this truth. Shortly after he took over the presidency of Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, he was walking in an exclusive section of town when he was stopped by a wealthy white woman. Not knowing the famous Mr. Washington by sight, she asked if he would like to earn a few dollars chopping wood for her. Because he had no pressing business at the moment, Professor Washington, he smiled, he rolled up his sleeves, and proceeded to do the humble chore she had requested. When he finished, he carried the logs into the house and stacked them by her fireplace. A little girl, girl recognized him and later revealed his identity to the lady. The next morning, the embarrassed woman went to see Mr. Washington in his office at the Tuskegee Institute and apologized profusely. Quote, It's perfectly all right, madam, he replied. Occasionally I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. She took his hand warmly and assured him that his meek and gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to her heart. And not long afterwards, she showed her admiration by persuading some wealthy acquaintances to join her in donating thousands of dollars to the Tuskegee Institute. Friends, a picture of humility. We see the picture of humility not just with President Washington of the Tuskegee Institute. We see this picture of humility in our passage this morning. Our passage is from 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I think the main idea of our passage is found right in the heart of it, which is this. While man looks on the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart. While man looks on the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart. And I want to unpack this truth with three points. The first point is this. No matter your story, you are part of a bigger story. Point number one. Point number two. In this story, God opposes the proud, but lifts high the humble. And then point number three. Through the story, God's promises never fail. So we're going to spend the next few minutes just unpacking these points. Point number one, no matter your story, you're part of a bigger story. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. 
So just to catch us all up on the story thus far, because we're jumping in mid-book in the first Samuel. The Israelites had been in captivity in Egypt. Some of you know this story. Some of you have seen the story in movies where there's something called the Exodus, where through this leader Moses, they are liberated from captivity and they're kind of led through the wilderness into this promised land. At one point, they come to Mount Sinai, and it's at Mount Sinai that God meets them and creates a covenant with them to always love them and be faithful to them. And he calls them to be faithful to him. And then they pass through into the promised land. And unfortunately, in their liberation, they don't stay faithful and true. In fact, chaos ensues. And that's where 1 Samuel picks up. In fact, it, it comes after the book of Judges, where there's just moral chaos. There's a lack of leadership. They've rejected God as king. And they're doing uh, whatever they want. In fact, the end of the book of Judges uh, states these words. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did as they saw fit. Now, just to pause for a moment, does that sound strange? Or does that sound strangely familiar? Personal confession. I think this is the story of our lives. It's the story of my family's life. And I have two of my three kids in the here. And um, here's how it typically goes. If I were to go home, even after church today, and there's five of us, and I'd say, who's the leader of our family? See, exactly. I think they all would raise their hands and I even think our black lab and golden retriever, they'd sit there and they'd somehow raise a paw, right? And, you know, every morning my wife teaches fourth grade, you know, and, and they have to leave early to go with her to school. And it seems like every morning I get a story of how they were fighting. The kids were fighting in the car. I know that, and that never happens with any of you with your friends or family or kids, right? So we grow giants in the Sorensen household. Um, our 14-year-old's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and um, so he thinks God uh, made the front row for him, like that passenger seat next to the driver, so he'll often get in the, the front row, uh, and, and, and he'll uh, get some resentment from his younger brother or sister. They'll be like, well, it's my turn, and he'll say, well, no, like, I'm, I'm big, like, I need the front row. Well, they'll say, okay, well, scoot your seat up. He's like, I can't, my legs don't Go, like they don't fit, and they're like, well, turn on the radio. I don't want to turn on the radio. I like this station. I don't like this station. You're singing too loud. Well, sing louder. You know? Does that ever happen in your house? Right? And so, especially my oldest and my youngest, they're like oil and vinegar. My oldest, Caden, my youngest, Sailor, they're just going back and forth. Like, it's just boom, 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 boom. My middle one, he's the one that's dirty and, and, and typically quiet, right? Quiet until there's a fight, and then he has a tendency to do this. Loud noises! Loud noises! All right. All right. No, audience participation. Wind it down. He's in the front row. <laughs> Loud noises! I don't know what we're yelling about! You know, he got that from some video clip. Okay. He's saying he got it from me. He got it from his father, right? But the truth is, we live in a world where we all tend to do what we see as fit. In fact, this theologian and pastor, Tim 
Chesser has this to say, we live in an age when personal freedom is perhaps our culture's highest value. You're not the boss of me. Don't impose your views on me. What gives you the right to tell me what to do? Or, to put it another way, when the history of our age, meaning today, is written, it could be summed up at a time when everyone did as they saw fit. These words could be the anthem of our time. And that's not just true for today. That was true for the Israelites when this book is being written. In fact, uh, 1 Samuel rose, rolls, you know, rolls up on us in the history of Israel. And they say, enough with the chaos. Give us a king. Give us a king. And God gives them a king, a guy that they think is tall and handsome. And he falls on his face again and again and again. His name is? Saul. And it's in 1 Samuel chapter 16 where God has clearly said, it's time to move on from your man-made kings. And I think that's true for them, and I think it's true for us. God tells Samuel essentially these words, friends, it's time for a new day. A new day is at hand. It's time for a new king. A king that I'm providing for myself. You see, no matter your story, you're part of a bigger story, but you're not the center of it. God is. And God is calling for a new day and a new king. He's saying, grieve not the past, turn the page. Samuel, go find, Samuel being a priest, go find this new king and anoint him as my king. No matter your story, you're part of a bigger story. Point number one. Point number two, in this story, God opposes the proud but lifts high the humble. So the passage goes on. And when they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And Jesse made seven of his sons passed before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, are all of your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And we'll see that this is little David. But before we keep going with this story, I want to share a little reflection about my time in Charleston. We moved here about seven years ago, and uh, we moved from the greater New York City area. That's not where we're originally from, but that's where our family was serving. And uh, I was recruited down here to help plant churches around North America. I was recruited to help raise up the next generation of church planters and pastors for a group that had been based here. And I remember uh, a year or two in, someone said to me, a pastor said to me, I want to tell you kind of a story of what it's like to be in Charleston. And he said, a couple years ago, I was approached by a historic church in Charleston. And they came to me and they said, hey, we see you, and uh, we've actually done a little research about your family, not just your education experience, but about your family, and we want to let you know you come from the right pedigree to apply to be a pastor at our church. 
Similarly, similarly, when we launched the Daniel Island Fellowship, I've shared this story in here before, but um, I like to pull from voices both of the present and the past as it relates to experts looking at Scripture. So I'm not the only voice you're hearing. And one Sunday, someone came up to me after a sermon who's a native Charlestonian, and he said, hey, I just want to let you know, it doesn't matter who you know or who you're pulling from. What matters is who your mama is in Charleston, South Carolina. And I thought to myself, that's horrible. That's insane. And that affirmed that God was in fact calling me as an other to plant a church for the sake of the others that are moving here or that live here. A church that is rising up for the sake of others, growing up for the sake of others. Not to say that we don't love Charleston natives. I know there are a few in the room. And thank you for having us. But basically, I was told you don't belong. And that's the message that I received. And that's the message, frankly, David received before he was called up. You see, David was not the right age. David was not from the right place. Bethlehem was a nothing town at this point until this moment in history. And it would become a something town, wouldn't it? Not just now in this passage, but in the future. And David did not have the right experience. He was a little shepherd boy, but God chose him. See, God takes that which is insignificant time and time and time again and touches eternity with men and women. That's the story of Scripture over and over and over again. That's true then, and it's true today. You see, in God's economy, blessing is bestowed in accordance with one's posture, one's humility, not one's power or position. David wasn't even considered by his own dad to be an option. He was out in the field. He was insignificant. And, and it wasn't some huge like, event by which he's called. He's doing the very small, insignificant thing, day in, day out, that his own dad had asked him to do. And that prepared him to hear from God our Father, to be one day a king. And I think this is both an encouragement and a warning to us. Here's the encouragement. Anyone in here, have, have you ever felt insignificant or dismissed by people? Have you, maybe you're in a school or a situation or a job where you feel like you're completely off the ra radar. You don't even matter. Right? Like, that's David's story. And his posture was to stay true and faithful even in those small, ordinary moments, day in and day out. And guess what? Nothing gets wasted, as we will see in the months ahead as we look at King David's life. He will go from being a little shepherd boy to a shepherd king. And everything he had learned in those quiet, outlier moments would uh, come into play later. It's also a warning. It's not just an encouragement. It's a warning for some of us that think we've made it. We've got it. We're in a good position. You know what God calls that? Pride. Where you don't see your need for him. You see, no matter your story, you're part of a bigger story. But also, in the story, God opposes the proud but lifts high the humble. And then point number three, through the story, God's promises never fail. 
And so the passage goes on. And he sent, and he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And I didn't say this in the first service, but I want to say it now. Like David was a boy. Like most likely like a preteen. And this is why our church has gone all in with our kids and student ministry. Get God calls you kids and students now. Not later, now. God calls you now. He will raise you now. And so uh, here's the thing. In Israel, kings weren't crowned. They were anointed. I don't know if you knew that. And beyond that, this word anointed, do you know in the Hebrew what the word is for anointed? Messiah. Do you know what the word for anointed is in the Greek? Christos. Christ. Isn't that cool? I don't know if you knew that. So God, through Samuel, is calling David, and he anoints David, this little shepherd boy. And he's anointing him to have the authority and the ability to save his people, to love and lead his people right there. And yet David, as we will see throughout the pages of Scripture, I'm going to give you a glimpse in here in just a second, but David is just a foreshadowing for the true shepherd king who is to come. Later in the fall, we'll see that there's a promise made between God and David. David says to God, okay, I've united the nation, I've brought our people back, now let me build you a home. And God's saying, it's not yours to build me a home. I'm going to build you a home. I'm going to raise up a kingdom through your line that will last forever. Here's how it's recorded. When your days are fulfilled, you lie down with your fathers. fathers I will raise up your offspring after you. He shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now here's where I want to bridge the Old Testament to the New Testament. Has anyone here ever just tried to open a book and read it? You know, How about the book of Matthew? Do you see that genealogy? Does that do a lot for you, that genealogy, chapter 1? Let me tell you why that's important. It starts, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ in the line of David, son of Abraham. And then it lists, and it's basically saying God's promises are proving true. God's promises never fail. When Jesus goes to be baptized, he comes out of the water, and there's a voice from heaven. We looked at this last year as we looked at, through the book of Mark. It says, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. That's almost, almost a direct quote from uh, 1 Sam, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is my son. Jesus himself would go on to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You see, David risked his life for his sheep. Jesus will end up giving his life for his sheep. Not just then, but now. And we find this promise later in the Gospels. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. This is a direct fulfillment of the promise to to David, I will raise up a son who will save in your name. And we see that come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So it's not just a promise for the Israelites back then. It's not just a promise for one of us here today. It's a promise for all of us. God says, I am faithful. I am true. These promises come to bear in Jesus, the true shepherd from the line of David. You see, through the story, God's promises never fail. So, simple invitation to close. No matter your story, you're part of the bigger story. In the story, God opposes the proud, but lifts high the humble. And point number three, um, his promises through the story, they never fail. So I recognize there are people that have been coming to the church or some church for a while. There are some people that come to this church that have never stepped foot in a church. Uh, I want you to first look up. I want you to recognize you're part of a bigger story. This might be a relief to some of you. Yeah, it might be a relief to some of you. Maybe you're tired and worn out by trying to figure it all out. And I just want to say you're part of a divine drama, a cosmic story, and it's not all up to you. This might be frightening or freeing. Look up. Point number two, look in. I invite you to examine your heart. For some, this will be an encouraging word because you feel dismissed and insignificant. Life has been hard to you. And I just want you to know, Jeremiah 31 says, God loves you with an everlasting love, no matter what you've been through. And he sees what you're in. Some of you need a warning. Some of you have kind of put on this cloak of self-righteousness and pride. And God's saying, lay that down. I oppose the proud, but lift high the humble. Point number three, look out. Know this story. The promise is not just a cool story. It's a promise of God loving you and redeeming you no matter what you've been through. God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus in the line of David, this cosmic drama, to set you free. And I invite you to trust him. Maybe you've done it before. Maybe you've never done it. Trust him with your story and trust in his promises. Man looks at the outward appearance, but even today, the Lord looks at the heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do invite you to search us and to know us in God, we invite you to help us to look up, look in, and look out to your love. God, I pray that you would uh, encourage and challenge us, call us back to you. We recognize we don't have it all together, but in a posture of humility, we come back to you, and we pray that you would love us and save us. In Jesus' name, amen.